You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cyberwire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. So it started around the summer of this year where we you know, started seeing clearly related incident response cases and, and SOC sightings. And compared to a lot of what we were seeing, these were very rapid in-and-out style attacks, often done you know, within half an hour, less time than it takes to have a pizza delivered. That's Christo Butcher from the NCC Group Research and Intelligence Fusion Team. The research we're discussing today is titled SNAP-MC, Extortion Without Ransomware. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. I want to dig into that element of it, but before we do, let's just go over some of the basics here. Can you give us a little overview of, of who this group that you all are calling SNAP-MC may be and, and how they go about doing the things they do? Sure. Great question. So uh, we have not been able to link this uh, cluster of activity with any other known actors. That's why we came up with a new name you know, and want to share this with the community to hear about others' experiences and, you know, help help uh, the rest uh, protect themselves. The sort of MO, the way of working, as far as we've seen, is, is different than we usually see, where, and that's also, you know, where the name comes from, that focus on speed instead of focus on impact. The 
approach we saw here was that the actor was actually choosing to uh, simplify the attacks, be, you know, get in and get out again with the stolen data much more quickly, thereby you know, not taking some of the opportunities to explore further or move laterally, etc. That, that was hmm. different from most of the attacks we see where the attacker you know, uh, tries to do as much damage, get, get as far into the network as possible. Well, let's walk through it together here. How does someone find themselves falling victim to SNAP-MC? So the incidents we've seen so far uh, were based on, uh, you know, known vulnerabilities. So not very advanced uh, initial access techniques, but basically abusing known vulnerability in software, Telerik UI, or uh, SQL injection. So basically fairly standard stuff. And, you know, again, that focus on speed, the attacker would get into one of these systems through one of those vulnerabilities or misconfigurations, look around what he could get at quickly, what kind of data was available, exfiltrate that, and then, uh, you know, leave it at that. So a very little attempt at lateral movement or privilege escalation or, or even persistence. Very much focused on here's a vulnerable system, getting in, seeing what's easy to get, and then leaving again. Do you have any sense for what that makes available to them? I mean, using the methods that they use, what sort of data is there for the picking? You know, a lot of their focus was on uh, web-based systems, web apps, and the databases behind there. So, uh, you know, depends totally on the the victim, of course, what's in there, but often it does include lots of uh, sensitive customer data or personal data of, of people using the service there. And that does give the attacker access to that kind of sensitive information. Not the strongest lever for extortion, but it is the kind of information which would force the victim to go into the notification process of a data breach. Now, you mentioned that uh, it doesn't seem to be a focus of theirs for privilege escalation, but you, according to your research here, there were some, some um, instances of that. Some and uh, each incident was slightly different. So, uh, you know, it, it, there were very clear signs that this was a, a manual uh, looking around. Uh, there, there was actually somebody seeing what there could be had, what kind of data was available. But again, compared to the traditional ransomware type breaches, which would use more advanced tools, this would remain fairly limited. Well, let's talk about the actual collection and exfiltration then. What sort of uh, processes are they using to actually gather up the data and, and get it out of the system? So in, in the different incidents we saw, they'd look for fairly easy data to get access to. So uh, in the SQL injection case, I believe they actually never left sort of the SQL protocol. So they actually, through the SQL injection, just tried to pull out all of the data out of the, out of the database. There might have been chances there for uh, you know, further penetration, getting persistence on the machine, etc. Moving from there, it looked like they didn't even try to do that. They really kept it at what was easy to access. Same with the other vulnerabilities. Once on that first system, they'd have, you know, you know look around, collect some data, and the, the most telling sign was their use of MinIO, a cloud object storage, which let them fairly quickly exfiltrate large amounts of data. That was one of the main telltale signs we saw in all the incidents where they actually use the Telerik UI vulnerability and gain access to that first machine. 
Yeah, it really does seem like kind of the, I don't know, an, an online version of, of kind of a, a smash and grab burglary, you know, where it's you're just breaking a window and, and grabbing everything in the display there as quickly as possible. 100%. That is uh, very much how we interpret these attacks, which uh, on the one hand, that makes them fairly simple, straightforward. There, there, there's not much use of advanced toolings or techniques here. But at the same time, that speed actually is one of the big challenges here to be able to respond quickly enough to stop uh, sensitive data from being exfiltrated. That's the, the big challenge here, where in uh, you know most traditional ransomware, traditional attacks, there would be more time from the attacker coming in to when they would actually start exfiltrating data or encrypting files or, or doing actual damage, which gives the defenders you know, a window of opportunity to detect it and to respond, stop the attack. Here, you know, under half an hour, that really forces the defenders to act fast. One of the interesting things that your research points out is that there is no shortage of extortion emails being sent out there. But a lot of times... It's an empty threat. And in this case, the, the SnapMC group, they are actually going out there and grabbing stuff. But what sort of follow-up do they have to the victims to, to demonstrate that they've actually grabbed some data? Right, right. So that, that extortion process is interesting because uh, just like in the attack itself, it's aimed at speed where the emails would ask the victim to get in touch within 24 hours and then give them three days, 72 hours after that to respond. And, you know, that's a relatively short time frame compared to some of the other extortion negotiations we've seen. And even within that time frame, we'd see the actor actively increasing the pressure, threatening to release the data early. And, you know, during that whole process, the actor would have evidence, file listings, etc., showing that they actually had been present, had been able to you know, get their hands on that data. In some cases, we've also seen the actor on fora, dark web fora. So we do believe that this actor is actually, you know, able to go through and intends to go through with uh, either selling the data or publishing it. Do you have any insights on, on what the ask is? You know, dollar amounts, are, are, they, are they looking for here? We've seen amounts in the order of 50000 to a little over $100,000. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, in itself, you know, it's, I mean, it's certainly not a small amount of money, but we see ransomware asks, you know, in the multi-millions. So again, it's... Uh, the speed of the operation, maybe not trying to inflict too much pain, but get their payment and, and be on with it. Exactly. It seems to be in that range of not huge amounts, which you know uh, might be more difficult for their victim to pay. At the same time, we also don't think this actor, you know, like traditional ransomware actors, this actor doesn't seem to take the time to get to know their victims very well. So mm. our impression is that the actor doesn't have as much information. What is the exact financial situation of their victim? So the damage they do is lower. The information they have is, is slightly less. So we think that's why they aim for these, these amounts. Well, let's talk about uh, potential mitigations here. What, what, uh, what are your recommendations? 
Yes, great question, because, you know, in the end, I, th I think the main lesson is that from a purely TTP point of view, this actor is, is not very special. The, the types of attacks, the tools, the techniques are fairly standard, but the speed actually makes it quite a challenge. So, you know, at, at NCC Group, when we talk to clients, we find that holistic approach works well, thinking about the prevention, the detection, the response. And of those three, prevention's probably the most uh, straightforward and, and normal one. This actor used known vulnerabilities, so basic security hygiene is very important here. Keeping software up to date, good patch management, hardening the attack surface, regular pen testing, etc. They're the basics. This actor is just showing if you don't have that up to scratch, then you know, within no time, you might be uh, paying the price. Now, the detection side, again, the detection in and of itself, because these are known vulnerabilities, they're not that difficult to detect, but the speed required to respond means that you actually have to take good care of that detection pipeline so that the people and processes aren't flooded by, say, a big backlog of false positives slowing down their response time. Here, it's very important to be able to you know, bubble up these incidents as relevant, very urgent, so that on the response side, you're in time to do something about it. And given response, automation, of course, can help, but the, the people and the processes are really the bedrock. And practicing these kinds of incidents, we, we feel is a very important part. You know, it's, it's, it's okay to have the best tools, but if you're not able to you know, jump right on the incident, fix it really quickly, be able to make the right decisions quickly, uh, that'll slow you down. And you know, half an hour really is, is not much time. So practicing these processes, looking at what your IT landscape looks like, figuring out what possible uh, attack vectors would be, and then going through the movements to make sure that everybody's lined up to act quickly. And to be able to do all of that, to be able to do those, those, those practice rounds, uh, prepare your prevention, detection, response, of course, it's very important to know these threats, understand the urgency, and, you know, in this case, the Telerik UI or the SQL injection was used, but we expect that this actor, you know, will basically choose whatever gives him good victims. So next time might be something totally, totally different. Having that good threat intelligence so that you can prepare yourself is very important here. Yeah, it really strikes me that this is an actor who has been very deliberate in making their living by going after that low-hanging fruit. Exactly. Low-hanging fruit, I think, is the right uh, expression here, yes. Our thanks to Christo Butcher from the NCC Group Research and Intelligence Fusion Team. The research is titled SNAP-MC, Extortion Without Ransomware. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now, a message from CyberBit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then, you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need CyberBit. CyberBit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills, all using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. 
Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karp, Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week.